0: The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the superlight tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code Super Twenty Four for a free pair of socks with a purchase of forty eight dollars or more. That's allbirds.com code Super Twenty Four.
1: Welcome to the Story Studio. Oh yeah, here
2: we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast for an independent publishing company that explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of the storytelling thing. My name is Luke, and today I'm joined by my regular co-host, Mister
3: Daniel Wilcox. Uh,
2: Daniel Wilcox, <laughs> how's it going, man? You're? Right? Hello. Hello.
3: Yeah, all right. How are you?
2: Yeah, we are having. How are you, uh, audience? How are you, audience? Uh, we are having like technology uh, strife at the minute because so you're you're doing this from your phone because your <laughs> MacBook Pro has has not been acting very pro. Is not no, it's not being professional at all. MacBook amateur. And yeah. um, and uh, so Skype in the interview today's interview we've got a great interview lined up for you guys. Um, Skype just kept on, like you'll notice, like somebody editing might be a little bit choppy, and because uh, Keelan was, um, I guess, was saying some really great stuff, but then Skype just kept like fizzling out, like it just couldn't, it just couldn't handle the awesomeness that Keelan was was saying. Um, Do you think so there is a
3: conspiracy? Like he'd get rolling on a really good point, and Skype just goes, shh, yeah,
2: shh, maybe It's trying to silence him. Yeah, this is <laughs> we're in the age of censorship now. Yeah, the, the, the age of Donald Trump. Um, but yeah, no, uh, so we had loads of technology issues. Is anyone out there listening and they sort of know a good alternative to using, uh, instead of using Skype for podcasting and recording, that doesn't cost a load of like, um, you know, subscription money? Let us know because I'm getting sick of Skype. <laughs> it's cost yeah, me for the it last time
3: <laughs> Yeah, it has to be so that the guests can do it as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. going to be tricky, but I'm sure there's something out there. There must be in this wonderful world of internet.
2: Yeah, well, if uh, if, if we get a few more patrons, we could fly people over from America to to our kitchen table. Um, and where where
3: would we get patrons from?
2: Uh, at our Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Hawk and Cleaver, and you can pledge for as little so as a pound or a dollar. Oh, depending so away from. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, have you got a big up for us then?
3: um i do i actually have two um which i don't know if i save one for next week or if i just hit them both now so i just hit them both now
2: hit them both now because you probably forget the one for next week okay yeah my first
3: one is (laughs) my first one is story shop writer which um i think i mentioned story shop as my big whip a couple of months ago when the self-publishing podcast guys released their new software for planning books and stories but they've now released the second part of that, which is um, the writing tool, which basically is a way, it, it's kind of like, I don't want to just say it because it's not a replacement for those that love Scrivener, but it does a lot of what Scrivener does in that it brings all of the, those beats of character planning into one cloud service that lets you write your book and just have it automatically back up, which is incredibly handy and timely for me because, like we say, my MacBook currently playing up, so I've had to somehow save my files from dying into the ether and I've popped them into the cloud with the angels. thing.
2: Nice. I like it.
3: Yeah. And uh, do do you want to do one? And then I'll do one. So yeah, people sure. don't sick of my voice.
2: <laughs> Mine might be the same as yours. So my big whip is we are as a company going to be appearing at the Nottingham Comic-Con. Uh, when is it? So the 14th of October, 2017, at the Nottingham Conference Centre. It's my home city, in a sense. Uh, So it'd be cool to go back there, and it'd be cool to uh, sell some books, sell some comics, meet some readers, um, meet a lot of other creators who we we sort of have mingled with but never actually met in person. So, yeah, come down to that if you're in the area. Come say hello. And um, also Joey Oliveri will be there. He was on one of our previous podcast episodes. Uh Um, So, yeah, it'd it'd be cool to catch up with everyone.
3: What about Frizzon? Frizon comic's is going to be
1: there.
2: I don't know. I'll have a quick look. Uh, whilst I'm doing that, do you want me to give you your other uh, your <laughs> big whoop?
3: Yeah, my other big whoop is: um, Have you seen American Vandal?
2: No, but I've I seen the trailer.
3: <laughs> I think American Vandal has literally made my life complete. Um, is it? Is it because I?
2: I kind of looked <laughs> and thought that could just be a five-minute sketch. Surely, like I don't see how they can do eight episodes for that.
3: It, it's the entire show. So just to set the scene for, for people that might not be aware of it, the premise is basically it's a, a fake documentary that is beautifully filmed um, about a high school in America where during a half hour period, someone spray painted 27 penises on 27 staff members' cars. In the school is a a student who is famed for drawing penises on things um, and is expelled and all the evidence points to him. And it's basically the documentarian's mission to get to the bottom of it and to find out who's actually telling the truth. Um, and it's like, it's I, like I, I uh,
2: can't, say again, go on.
3: No, I, I can't remember the last time I've laughed out loud so much at a series. Really? I, I think yeah. it's, it's stupid humor. But it's it's the way that it's documentary filmed, and they bring in bits of Snapchat, and they bring in like just tiny little ways that people spell stuff in text as some of the clues, and yeah, it's just, it's just fantastic.
2: It's it's like ripe, isn't it, for because you've got all the uh, making of a murderer confession tapes, uh, the jinx, yeah. all of those sort of um, programs going on right now, and uh, yeah, it's it's, it's it's the right time to have something like this come out. But eight episodes, I don't know. It's so Can
3: stupid, a, and it's so brilliant.
2: Cool. I'll do. I'll do one more big Whoop just to match you uh, because we're only six months, six minutes in, and we know we got a little bit longer. Uh, so um, the new season of uh, Channel Zero is is has out. Well, the first episode is. Um, it's based on a creepypasta called uh, No End House. Like they do like six uh, episode miniseries, and each series is like a different creepypasta. And this is the second one. The first season was one of my favorite things I saw this year. And the first episode is on YouTube free, for, for anyone out there to go oh, and watch really? it, yeah, and it's really good. Like it makes American horror. I think the the people who write American horror story write their plot their stories with boggle, like either, <laughs> compared <laughs> to this. Compared to like how like clean and tight this Channel Zero is and how, million idea. Yeah, but um, yeah, American horror story. Although I keep watching it and I do kind of enjoy it. Channel Zero is just, you know, it's uh, it's a level up. It's uh, it's five guys compared to McDonald's, although I enjoy <laughs> both. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a weird comparison.
3: but no, yeah, I get that. So that's on the first episode on YouTube. Where can where can yeah. people catch the rest of
2: it? I have no idea yet. I think well, uh, I am sure it'll pop up on Netflix or you know something soon or Amazon. But um, check out the first episode. That it's, it's good. Like it's very very creepy yeah that's exciting <laughs> yeah uh which leads us into our guest today um i won't do the intro now because we'll do it in a sec but um i've been looking forward to getting this guy on for a while and i've been we talked about one of his books like early this year i think but we did yeah um, sour
3: candy
2: yeah so yeah the interview is lots of good stuff in here and um, there's a bit of a conversation about like you know, the difference between writing to market and and saying true to your to your heart and what you want to write—it's all very deep and um and uh, we've got it. down had a little bit of a
3: um,
2: therapy <laughs> session halfway through.
3: I'll uh, I'll add a little footnote there and say that at the time of recording the interview, it was after an incredibly long day at work, and I was at my most vulnerable, <laughs> and I was held in the arms of an Irishman and told to assess my vision of the variety. Um,
1: yes.
2: So
3: that, there's that to look forward to, but yeah, it, it's, it's a good one.
2: Yeah, cool. Okay guys, uh, we will see you on the other side. Today we're talking to a former waiter, drama teacher, map maker, security guard, assembly line worker, salesman, bartender, landscape gardener, vocalist in a rock band, curriculum content editor, fiction editor at gothic.net, fraud investigator, but now he's an acclaimed horror author and cover designer and Mr. Keelan Patrick Burke. Keelan's written five novels, over 100 short stories, six collections, edited four acclaimed anthologies. In 2004 he was on with the Bram Stoker Award for his novella The Turtle Boy and he's just cracked out a new novella called Blanky. So welcome to the show Keelan. Thank you, good to be here. So um, first question I guess is like how can you've had so many
1: jobs? What's going on there? (laughs) <laughs> uh I, I believe the term in ireland was a uh, waster you know i just uh, i didn't particularly enjoy any of them and you know i mean as anybody knows like you know when you start out the jobs you do are are entirely for uh you know just just for the money so that you can survive and while that doesn't change much over time as you go to college as you get educated for stuff and you narrow your focus into the kind of jobs that you actually want to do yeah, but you know, I I was legitimately interested in some of those jobs, like the map making one in particular. I was just terrible at most of them, so <laughs> so I would I would do it as long as I could until I could find something else, and then I'd move from one job to the next. And
3: no one seems to was... understand that it's just for the money when you're younger. No one seems to get that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, the, pre- the prefer preference would be not to work at all, just to sit at yeah. home and play video games. But yeah. You know ah, you got I know you gotta have the money to do that. So you have to pick up whatever job you can. And unfortunately, before you're qualified to do very much of anything, you just take what you're offered. So that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. I and did also, enjoy the last well, job that I fraud investigator job was interesting because I think it's it was basically dealing with people that you frequently had to catch them out in lies on the top. <laughs> It was very interesting, this kind of psychological appeal of it to me, where I just was sitting across from somebody and I had the facts in front of me and they would just blatantly lie. And some people are so fantastically good at it that I was enthralled by the deception. You know?
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: So, but that's fun. But, you know, other than that, I'm doing exactly what I think I was born to do now and have no intention of giving it up unless, you know, my uh, predators come from my thumbs and I have no choice.
2: Yeah. You know when you when you caught someone in the act of lying, did you? What did you do? Did you like blow a raspberry at them, or how did?
1: You... <laughs> uh, no, we usually just threw them out the window. Uh, right, and as right. The office was six floors. I prefer them. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Immediately took care of
3: the, took care of the problem. <laughs> does that uh, does that appear in any of your books? You throwing someone out of a six floor window?
1: No, no. Um, I tend to, to fictionalize it for the sake of the the true life events and I usually make it the fourth floor so there's a hope of it <laughs> yeah so all these jobs kind
2: of must play into like the writing uh inspiration anyway right I mean all of this stuff oh, yeah. all adds to the patchwork of who you are I guess
0: yeah
1: definitely I, I mean I think it all falls under the umbrella of that writerly wisdom that if you haven't lived you can't write a convincing novel I mean you can't write characters who haven't if you haven't lived a life that has many, many different chapters and a lot of variety, if you've never been in love and had had your heart broken, if you've never lost somebody, or at least come brushed a passing acquaintance with death and mortality, I mean, these these are all the things I think you need to learn. It's it's as important, if not more important, than a formal education. I think. Hmm.
3: No, I don't. I don't
1: I, I've read books by people who just you know people who say they've had a charmed life. They grew in grew up with money and never had to struggle for anything and I don't know whether it's my own bitterness at play when I read their books but I just don't find them terribly convincing because I, I think that if you haven't been exposed to the worst yeah parts, parts of life that you you can't convincingly
2: write about them interesting like a lot of uh writers in the olden days were you know upper class people because literally it yeah. wasn't really a pastime for the working class
1: Yep. Yep. That's absolutely true. And, and I don't know what, what changed or, or like I said, whether it's just my own perception of it, but you know, to that end, you had then of course had writers like Edgar Allan Poe who died in the gutter, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. was half friggin' mad. And yeah. if you look at artists, some of the greatest artists, painters in the world were completely batshit crazy. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And what was it about? So all these jobs are obviously very, very different. What was it? What was the big push that led you towards writing? Do you want to give our listeners just a little overview on how you went from this amalgamation of stuff into doing what you do now?
1: Well, writing, <clears throat> excuse me, writing was all I ever wanted to do. And <clears throat> I think I knew from probably five years of age that that's that's what I was going to do. If if there was any justice and if I was allowed any kind of control, and if my destiny was even listening, that's what I wanted to be always. So, I mean, it wasn't just a case of going from those jobs into writing. It was that mm-hmm. I was always, I, I mm-hmm. believe I was always a writer and had to do the jobs out of economical necessity, you know, because yeah. wanting yeah. to be a writer does not pay the bills. And even <laughs> 90% of the time writing itself doesn't pay the bills. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I knew, I knew that's what I was going to do and, I just basically fought tooth and nail through my, my life to date to get to the point where I had the option of sitting down and writing for a living.
2: From the age of five, you sat down and you wrote a horror story, or when did you start writing horror? <laughs> no,
1: no, my mom had me. My mom had me reading and writing at an advanced level. She was just basically putting them in front of me, encouraging me to to read things that looked like complete. You know, I, yeah. I had no idea what I was looking at, but I learned because I, I felt like I could do it. And that kind of followed me through life, and I started sketching out rudimentary stories at a very, very young age, started writing actual stories by the time I was eight, got a typewriter by the time I was 10. I just, it, it was, I had no choice, and it wasn't enforced yeah. for me. It was something I knew. I loved it. I loved reading. I loved stories, and I wanted to be able to do that for other people. As long as I can remember that that was pretty much the drive
2: so was there any um like particular
1: writer who who you read and thought I want to do what that guy did <clears throat> yeah it's kind of funny because some of the earliest earliest stuff I read were the the abridged classics like the Count of Monte Cristo and Ivanhoe and Oliver Twist all that kind of stuff but even those engaged me I think at a level It wasn't even so much the story, which I remember really enjoying, but it was also the illustrations. I don't know if you can remember, but back then you'd have uh, children's books with the most horrific friggin illustrations in them. Yeah. They were were just terrifying. And (laughs) there was one that showed that a young man at the door was holding the lamp and the light rays were shining into this old man's big, giant eagle eye. And he was curled in on himself in the bed, one hand raised to try and shield himself. And I remember that affected me greatly. I thought that terrified me at the time. And rather than being repelled by it, I found it intoxicating. So I thought, well, you know, I just every passing day, every new experience in this in the literary regard makes me just desperate to want to do it myself for other people. And I never yeah. lost that. I'm still doing. That's still what I do. I, I will write something and then go, yeah, but that's not scaring me. So yeah. it's no good. We got it. We got to make it. We got to amp it up. So that it's the kind of thing that you read it. Your eyes move past the lines and then you go back up again and go, wait a minute, what the fuck just happened? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. And your, your yeah. hair stands on end, you know? I think that's the yeah. sweet spot that I, I kind of get scared by when I'm trying to <clears throat> write my stories is you get to that point where you're just like, am I going too far? But I, I think you're right in that if, If you are writing because you are your own audience, you need to get yourself to that point. Otherwise, you're not really serving your job as a horror writer.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you have to keep pushing it. You can't be content with the tools that have worked before. You go, okay, well, if I've already given you in the last book something that really worked for you, how do I improve upon that? I'm not I'm not in the business of repeating myself. Mm. I want to push it to the point where I wake up in the middle of the night creeped out by it because it was something that was on my mind before i went to sleep and now i have to get out of bed and write it because it's fucking terrifying <laughs> yeah. so yeah uh,
2: so so there's tells my heart um and edgar Allan poe and and um uh, you're starting to sort of get into horror is there any sort of uh like on the movies or you know comics or anything that you were that you were consuming as you were growing up
1: oh yeah i mean i had the benefit of of, you know, and it's funny because people sometimes react in horror to this when I, when I bring it up, but my mother was an absolute horror obsessed person. She would wake me late at Friday night to come down and watch whatever the Friday night horror movie was on a, on one of the two channels we had at the time. <laughs> but, uh, and then aside from that, so, so I was, I think maybe eight, nine ten. I was watching Salem's Lot, The Shining. I was, you know, the only wow. thing I had to yeah. shield my eyes from was any kind of explicit sex scenes or nudity. I was like, look away, yeah. which, you know, I didn't. But it was uh, that. And she was bringing home Stephen King books and James Herbert and uh, Ramsey Campbell, all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't allowed to read those, but I read them anyway. You <laughs> <laughs> just wait until she went to work and then I. Creep into a room and take him out of our drawer, and then you know hide him under my mattress. You know, what, what most people were doing with porn magazines, I was doing with porn. Yeah, scaring yourself silly in the bedroom. I like it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> porn can be scary in the right way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: Was there any sort of particular horror movies you watched and you, or books you read, you, you couldn't sleep like that had a really sort of lasting effect on you, like a scarring yeah. effect, I guess.
1: Well, no, nothing ever scarred me. It was like the books, the the other stuff. It it just excited me. It was like, I remember after watching all of these things on a Friday night, I would wait until my mother needed to use the bathroom before I would go and wait outside the bathroom for my turn. I would not go up the stairs by myself because it was light at the bottom and dark at the top. And I was fucking convinced of something up there. Yeah. So, you know, so it did get to me. That I was I was scared, but I was also thrilled by the feeling. You know, it seemed to me that I had a pretty secure life at the time, and there was no exterior dangers I was aware of. But I still felt this this kind of I don't know how to how to describe it. But it, this the intoxication of of being scared was just there's, there's something quite uh, titillating about being like, scared. Exactly. Shitless. That's, <laughs> that's exactly the word. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. I loved it. So <laughs> I would say that at the time, the ones that I recollect the most that had that effect on me were *The Omen*.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I couldn't remember a thing about that movie years later, except for the sheets at last flying off the back of the truck and the r- relief yeah. <laughs> of his head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And *Pet Cemetery, which I read when I think I was book
3: yeah i can still any time i think about that book now i can still do you remember at the end where he describes the cat and basically the way that well not that that's not the end but the way the cat smells the earthy sort of smell i can literally just anytime someone brings up that book that's what i get in my mouth and nose
1: yeah yeah exactly and i'll tell you what it was for that weirdly enough like the omen when i couldn't really recall it i just remember that the last part Mm -hmm. there were two things that got me from that that stayed with me forever one was the scene where he's after burying Gage in the cemetery and he's walking back and there's something. It's just described as something enormous yes. in the woods beside him.
3: Oh, yeah. But he never actually goes into detail as to yeah. what it is. And that taught me the
1: the appeal of the Especially unseen. Small. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the other the other part of it was when they pull the dead cat off the grass and it's frozen and it makes this crunching sound. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh. the complete opposite side of the scale. You have this unseen mysterious thing, and then you have somebody ripping a fucking cat off the grass. Mm. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> yeah, DM. Um, so you won your Bram Stoker in two thousand four. Yes. Which is obvious, it's obviously a fantastic achievement. So, congrats on that. Probably about 13 years too late. Um, but just, but in, in that sort of 13 years, um, I've heard uh, a lot of people seem to argue that horror is a dying art, that there's little audience for that kind of thing. But obviously, there are people, we've spoken to people on the podcast that are still making a qu- success of the genre. What would you say are the biggest changes in horror in the last 13 years? And how has that shaped? the way that you wrote then to how you write now, if it has at all? Um,
1: It's a great question. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm entirely aware of, like, I'm sure there absolutely are, but I don't think I'm, I'm as attuned to the changes in what I've written. I would say that I put that more down to development as a writer, because I, I think that the art of writing is something that you're never, good enough at like i mean every everything i write needs to be better than the last thing i'll never probably write what i consider to be a fantastic showstopper of a novel it doesn't matter what reviewers or readers say at the end of the day it basically it comes down to your own satisfaction with what you write and we're never satisfied ever Yeah, yeah you can just do well enough and that's it and if it entertains people and people like it job done if you can make a living at it, even better. But ultimately, you always, everything I've written to date, I look back on it and go, shit, I wish I'd just given that another couple of months and gone back to it again.
3: Mm-hmm. But you
1: got, yeah. you got to let it go or you you drive yourself insane. So, sometimes so, I
2: feel like when a, when something goes down well, I feel like I tricked them. Just for that moment, I tricked yeah. them. But I, <laughs> they don't know I'm a fraud.
1: <laughs> no, that's exactly right. It is. You think you're after pulling some magic trick and you live in fear of being exposed, you know? Yeah. Mm. But to to properly address the questions i'm not really aware of any kind of changes in what i've written to maybe cater to a shift in the audience i wouldn't say that at all i've always just written what i wanted to write some of it has been very popular some of it less so i just write what i feel compelled to write, i don't really have much control over it but as, as regards to the market itself or or how horror has changed i mean as long as i've been doing this and even before I was writing professionally, I was reading books like dance Macabre* by Stephen King, where even mm-hmm. back, back in the, the early eighties, people were proclaiming the death of horror and they always will every single year. And while the success of horror tends to be cyclical, um, given changes in, <clears throat> excuse me, given changes in the market or I don't know. I, I think, I think if, if there was a change, I think there's probably less readers not genre specific i just think that with the advent of smartphones and computer games and all this kind of stuff you know as as that has become the dominant technology and the more prevalent technology people have to fight more to have either the time or the inclination to sit down and and focus on something like a a 500 page book yeah
3: that's that's probably where our success with the other stories comes from because that's all audio which is easy to digest
1: Yes, exactly. That's, that's actually a very good point because with, um, Kindle and with digital books, there has kind of been a leveling out where you see the people who won't read hardcovers anymore are suddenly reading digital and it's more accessible and that's great. But I've seen myself personally, I've seen a huge rise in audiobook audiences. Hmm. Hmm. Like there was, you cut to five or six years ago and you asked people what their preferred method of reading was and you'd have, Probably, let's say, go back six or seven years, you'd, you'd probably have 75% print, 10% digital, and the rest would be audio. Now, yeah. I, I I couldn't even hazard a guess. I think that, you know, it, it's audiobook is huge. And I, it's the thing I get asked the most is can you make this title available in audio? When is this coming out? When is that? And it's, you know, it's crazy. The yeah. demand for it is huge. But so I think while the method of delivery has changed and people's tastes in medium tends to shift. I don't know that I buy into the whole, you know, there may be less readers, but I think as far as horror readers go, they'll never die. You know, it's <laughs> it's always there to to read the next thing and, and clamoring for more. And I feel don't like, think that's ever I
2: feel like horror is like one of those human nature things. We've been we've been telling scary stories like around a campfire. Um, yeah. You know, since way back in the day. I mean, I was just going to ask you, you write a lot. You've written a lot of short stories. Um, would you consider yourself more of a short story writer or
1: a novelist or or is it just in between for you? Um, well, it's tricky because I have written more short stories than anything. So I guess by that definition, I am a short story writer. Mm. But it's not because of any preference. It's because I find novels a hell of a lot harder to write. When you've got an idea for a short story. And this is why
2: I... I think i prefer writing short stories because when you go outside you just get an idea you see something you just go home and just crank one out and then yeah. write a short story <laughs> I
1: mean, it could be the sound of the sound of the tap dripping in the bathroom could suddenly trigger something and there you go five pages later you have a saleable short you know yeah but for, for books I, I tend to have the core idea for them and then kind of set it aside and let it develop itself over a period of a couple of years before I feel comfortable sitting down and writing it so I think in terms of definition yeah I write more short stories and novellas so could be classified as you know leaning that way but it's not because I want to I'd much prefer to be one of these guys who can throw out two novels a year I'm never going to be that person much to my agent's chagrin but (laughs) it's you know it's more that I have to I have to build it And, and it's to me, it's like building a mansion. I have to just do it one block at a time and however long it takes for it to actually be ready, that's how long it takes. I can't force it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. See, I find that really interesting because I I love the idea of writing short stories and I'll get ideas sort of left, right and centre, but I'm reverse engineered in that I feel guilty if I'll sit down and spend an hour, two hours writing a short story when I could be putting that towards something larger. And I'm not sure what that reason might be, but... I feel like I want to write more short stories, but I'm more pushing towards, oh, novels are the standard thing that gets you from where we are to full time writing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is I mean, it is definitely true that, I mean, the way in is definitely with a novel. But the thing is, too, that you also have to at all costs be true to yourself because mm-hmm. the the likelihood of you saying, well, I'm writing all these short stories I'm really proud of, I'm selling them. I mean, you do it the right way. Short stories and particularly novellas can get you a lot of attention. And that, that can parlay your way in as well if you have that body of work behind you. But the last thing I would say do is to sit down and write a book for the sole purpose of getting your way in because you're compromising yourself from the outset. It's not the reason to do it. The yeah. reason to do it is because it won't let you alone and you have to.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, how do you feel about... so? the general consensus, more so in the indie market right now is to, you know, pump out novels like extremely quickly. How
1: does that, I mean, how does that vibe with you? Well, I have mixed feelings about it. I think that more power to, if you can do it. Hmm. Um, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the quality of pumped out products like that. I think that, and maybe it's because of how I come at it myself. I don't know. But I mean, there is this temptation to be, constantly in everybody's face with your work to constantly try to be owning the social media in mean, everybody's eyeballs all the time and I don't know, there's something distasteful about that to me I, mean, there's, I think there's a white right way market stuff in the wrong way, but the idea that you have to keep shoving books out the door makes it sound more like McDonald's um, Yeah, I know what
2: you mean, I feel like um, it's, it's difficult to I feel like I feel pressured to have to write and publish a shitload, and sometimes I don't really feel like I want to. But um, how do you feel about it, Dan? Because you're you're writing a lot at the minute as well, writing and publishing a lot of novels.
3: Yeah, it's um, I don't know. I think in in a perfect world, um, it would be similarly to you Keelan where it's like you take your time, you you produce that stuff. Um, I think I mean, for me, it feels like at the minute I I'm trying to. Just find the way to become a full-time writer,
1: yeah. and
3: once I found that way in, I'll be able to slow down, lean back, and and actually go to the stuff that is a bit more pure to my heart. Because um, I'm finding that with a couple of projects, I have been struggling lately, and I've been trying to work out why. And to be honest, I do think it is because when <clears throat> I released my first novella in I think it was the end of 2015, that was purely just a passion project. Everything that then followed um, until well, until me and you look with They Rot, They Remain, and Lazarus, they've all been absolute passion projects. And then yeah. everything else that's come after has been very much like, if I do this, this is more about the step that it takes as opposed to this is yeah. the stuff that deep down in my heart I want to write. But strategically thinking and trying to move forward and trying to work out the best way of going from where I am to where I want to be. Yeah. And <clears throat> if an opportunity presents itself, that could essentially shortcut it without, like, making the process crap, but shortcut that and get me to the point where I can, you know, do this full time, then that's kind of where my head is at. But it's, well, can it's difficult sometimes. Um,
1: why do you think, like, what you just said there, I mean, and I completely get it, but why do you think that a passion project could not be the way in for you? Why does it have to be two separate things?
3: Just, mm. I mean that is a fair question. <laughs> it's a fair question. I think it's more that from, I guess from what I've seen from people, it's it's the past projects. It seems to be more of a a unicorn project, a bit more of a, a lucky star that your work will hit and you will be one of those guys that are successful. I mean, can me me and Luke on on our books that we've done together, they're they're steadily growing in income, and with every release, we're we're seeing growth, which is which is awesome. Um, but I mean. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say at the minute, so I won't say too much, but I have been presented with one of these opportunities that is essentially someone picking you up and putting you up there um, by writing in someone else's universe for a bit. Um, and I guess I guess the argument is there, there's nothing that will stop you from, from doing that passion project or making it more your passion project. Um, but I, I guess it's just that. It's just that feeling that it seems a lot rarer Hmm. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get that. But at the same time, though, it seems like you're already putting a lot of roadblocks in your own way before you even get to the place where it's what's commercial. I mean, that's for editors and agents to decide what's going to sell and what isn't. If you're already deciding what won't or that it's not the thing that's going to get you in the door, you're hamstringing yourself from the outset. I mean, because I yeah. the think the thing that you want to be the thing that that introduces your name to the world and to a whole new legion of readers and to commercial success, perhaps, who knows, is the thing that was a passion project. It should it should be you. It should be everything that you wanted the world to see should be in that. Yeah. And if you look at it as a case of, well, I'll write this because it will get me in the door. If you do that and you're not being true to yourself and the, the rest of the world can see that they don't have any. Drive to pick up the next thing you write. That is your passion project. So mm, I mean, that, that always, has
3: crossed my mind. Yeah,
1: yeah. Always, always be absolutely one hundred percent true to yourself when you're writing something. Always make it your passion project. If it isn't, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Can
3: we can we call this episode "Keelan Gives Dan Therapy"? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, but now so, there's no to obligation fair, like, to listen to me because I, you know, I mean, I've made my own fucking mistakes. But I've been doing it long enough too that I know that I'd rather not write at all than write something. For the wrong reasons, you know, it's yeah. just, and that's Dan, why I write so slow. I just won't do it. I will not, I will not peddle stuff out the door for someone yeah. else's agenda. It has to be, it has to be my own. It has to be what I want. Do,
2: do you feel like, um, Dan, so you're in a, in a very difficult or well, busy day job. Do you feel like you're looking for a way out of that into a sort of more comfortable, um, fulfilling, you know, writing job as it were?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's a factor. Um, yeah. I mean, if it was to get to the point where I could not do... I'm not, I, I don't hate my job, just in case anyone right, <laughs> yeah. is listening, but I, I honestly don't hate it. I love, I love the stuff that I do. Um, obviously, every job comes with its um its yeah. trials, its tribulations, but yeah. in a perfect world, I'd I'd be full-time, I'd be doing this stuff, working towards the audio stuff with Hawk and Cleaver, you know, everything else that we do, and just making that huge. Um, but yeah, I guess it's about it's just trying to find the right way to get to that point. Um, and I have, I have huge you know, respect for guys like you, Keelan, that are, uh, that have managed to make everything that you do, your passion projects just roll and roll and roll to the point that you can do it full time. Um, but I guess the thing is with, with anything that we do as writers is there are so many different paths. There are so many different ways and you, you don't really know what's going to kick off. So you, you're right in a way when you say that, you know, I'm already hamstringing, um, and that is something else that I could open up and explore, but at this point, this, I don't really know which way. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm sure, like a lot of listeners, will be the same. A lot of, if anyone out there is writing, you have that point where you know where you want to go, but yeah. it's trying to find the the road that will, will that will get you there, and it's a difficult yeah. thing to do.
1: Yeah. Well, that, I mean that's that's absolutely that's absolutely true, and it's incredibly familiar. I mean, that was me my whole life wondering which is what's going to happen, what should I write, what's going to do it, and that own my own barrier in saying that I should be writing what's selling, I should be writing this, I should be writing that. And eventually I just realized I couldn't, that I wasn't any good at trying to write within the parameters of, I don't know, whatever happened to be the in thing at the moment. And I just, basically, the only things that worked for me were the things I felt that I had to write about. And mm-hmm. but I mean your situation is mm-hmm. hardly unique. I mean I think that's writing. That that's exactly it. <laughs> Yeah. And not and, just and writing. Worst, I think maybe all worst artists
2: worst. out there in, who, who are trying to make Yeah, oh this. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's 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 the curse of it. It's, it's self doubt. Okay, so Dan, how are you feeling? Have you made a decision? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Don't listen to me. Run. <laughs> Don't listen to the guy that's already doing the dream. Um now to be honest, I mean it's yeah, the writing gig's tough. Um, and ultimately, it's... I mean, it's difficult to kind of follow back from that, really, because I know yeah. that, that... I've got a lot inside at the minute that I know I want to do for, like, passion projects. I want to just get that out there and stuff. And seeing stuff that that Keelan is doing is inspiring. And, I mean, I've read Sour Candy and was, was blown away by it. Um, and that is the kind of stuff that long-term... I'd like to be doing. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, I guess it's just trying to find a way to essentially manufacture success which is like we say that's that's where everyone's at at the minute and that's that's the big struggle. That's why we have these podcasts to talk to to people that have made it to people that are still trying to get there. Um just to try and share some of those lessons because yeah, everyone makes takes a different path completely and I find it incredibly interesting to see the different paths and see what works. Um but, yeah, I'm not I probably won't make any decisions right now. <laughs> that's, that's
2: fine, yeah. Um, so, Sakina, so Sour Candy, I do have to say Sour Candy was, um, I think maybe one of the favourite things I read last, oh, it might be early this year, it was either early this year or late last year I read it, but I absolutely loved it. And anyone listening to this uh, show who likes horror, you really need to get it. It's it's a weird sort of, it's got some cosmic horror sort of vibes going on. Yeah, um, I mean, what John? Genre... The yeah, the cover's amazing as well, yeah. So nice work on it, It's it's really great. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that, so, was, uh, that
1: was a strange one. Where did the idea come from for that? Honestly, the the idea, and this is another case of kind of uh, a method that's usually reserved for novels. But with that one, I had, I had the idea about three years before I actually sat down to write it. And it was basically how it starts for the guy in the book. I went into Walmart one Saturday morning and was walking the aisles. And all of a sudden, this kid in the candy aisle started shrieking his Fucking lungs out it was incredible <laughs> <laughs> just, just, hanging from his lips like fucking airbags i'll never know oh yeah i just basically imagined what would happen if if i got home after feeling sorry for that yeah. woman and kid that if i got home and the kid was waiting for me at home calling me daddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he had altered he had altered my reality so that he'd clearly always been a part of my life and had convinced everybody else that was the truth too and I don't know. I had, I had the idea years before and then I finally just one day it came back to me and I sat down and I think I wrote it in the space of maybe a week. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been doing well for me. It's, uh it's been, it's got to be,
2: it's got to be, oh, I was going to just about to say, it's got to have been optioned, right? Cause I imagine yeah, yeah. Jason Blum mode, someone's got to get it on that. It's, it's so ripe for, for optioning.
1: Yep. Yep. It has. It's, uh, I can't really say much about it at the moment, but, uh, it's uh yeah it's been optioned by one of the bigger ones and hopefully it'll all come together and we might see something. That'd but be, we'll that'd be
2: very cool. Yeah,
1: I'd love to see it, but I mean, there's a couple of things been optioned and I've been around this block a bunch of times too, though over the years, where there's mad enthusiasm for something and you wait, 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 wait and just never. But
2: who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, blanky, the latest one, uh, latest developer. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. Uh, again, we've got like a, a bit of a. Um, the dad-child sort of relationship, a different sort of take on it. But um, so, when did you first start writing writing this one?
1: Um, Man, that was kind of a quick one, actually. I started that about two months ago. um, I think it took me about two weeks to write the first draft of it. Then I set it aside, came back, and took another two weeks to rewrite it because there was was problems. There was things I wasn't very happy with. But I'd say a month overall. Um, And again, that was an idea that I had Probably this time last year, and it just wasn't ready. It was much simpler in its in its origins. It was just basically about a a killer child blanket. <laughs> 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 that was like you know I even knew at the time I came up with that that it was a painfully ridiculous idea, and there was no way I was
3: going to be able to market it. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
1: How
3: how do you end up trying to um, one up other horror authors, or you know, trying to one up yourself? I guess because. I guess one can argue that all horror has been done and that it's essentially it's just people finding their own spin on the same stuff. Is there is there anything that you think out of your works particularly that are sort of an exception to that statement?
1: Um, well, I always try to come... I mean, I'm not really interested in, in one-upping up, one other writers. I think that they're, we're all in the same boat and we're all trying to come up with something that works for the reader. But um, yeah, and everything's been done. I just try and come up with a new and unique take on it that interests me to write about it, not necessarily how it's going to turn out in the end, because I don't usually know that. Yeah. But, and I I customarily kind of reject about the t- first 10 iterations of the idea that occurred to me because, okay, they're novel, but they're ultimately fucking stupid as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and as soon as I stop trying very hard to come up with a new slant on something, it'll come to me that. So, is there any other sort of
2: mediums that you sort of want to write in? Are you you know, write for comic books, um, write for audio dramas,
1: maybe, or anything like that. All of them. Yeah, I'd All love to them. do that. Yeah. Yep. I've recently, um, there's been uh, adaptations of my stories in John Carpenter's Tales. Yeah, from the I was
2: going to ask about that. Yeah, because I, I was looking. At, well, actually, I was listening to his latest sort of album, and. Uh, yeah then i was on his website and I started the comic and i saw your name on one of them and i was like oh that's how did how did that come about yeah
1: oh it was really cool um it was i think what happened was on twitter one night uh one of the writers from the first uh the first issue of that the first uh, anthology had posted about it and i tweeted at him and i said what the fuck is this i've never heard of this uh, where do I get a copy? And that was legitimately my only, my only uh, interest. I, I just wanted to grab a copy because I love all things John Carpenter. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he sent me, uh, he sent me the the link to it. And I was like, that's fantastic. And he went off and started digging up some of my stuff and came back and said, uh, we're currently reading for issue two. And I said, not even sure if it was an invitation or not. I just don't. <laughs> Well yeah I'll definitely definitely love to send you something and then he got Sandy King John Carpenter's wife in on the conversation and that was it I uh, I scripted my first comic book script in that in that that was my challenge I was like okay yeah you're on board we'll take the story great now script it I went oh shit I've never done that before
2: yeah the comic the comic book script medium is quite like open I think right so yeah. you can sort of kind of do what you want in a way
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I just went away and took about a three-week crash course on how to format it yeah. properly, and that, you know, we're off to places. <laughs> how but, do you go yeah, uh, well, on. Sorry. Sorry, no, yeah, I'd love to do stuff in every medium. I'm fascinated by all of it. I'd love to do theatre, um, you know, movies, obviously, but um, yeah, I, I'm pretty much open to all of it.
3: Cool. And, Would uh, you like so, to write a we'll, short story for the other stories? It's going
2: to ask the same thing, yeah. We do, <laughs> we, we do a horror short story podcast um, just coming on to a million downloads, Dan. I think we're about 50,000 away. Um, well, let's get ready to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Keen I'd, lo- I'd love to get, um, if you're interested anyway, um, get one of your stories on there if you, if you fancy it. Yeah, sure. Message me the, uh, the info and we can, we can have a chat. Cool because, um, uh, have you got any favourite like recent horror? Like any sort of recent films that have come out that you, that you particularly
1: enjoyed? Uh, yeah, I just uh, this past week I saw It, the, oh, the same,
3: no fair, which I
1: really, <laughs> really liked, and Mother by Darren Aronofsky, which I really liked as well. And I think I am probably one of three people on the planet who like that, but it just it worked. Yeah, I um, I, I
2: really liked it. Uh, I just. there's some aspects that like the uh the allegory was a bit heavy-handed for me but um i always think maybe i'm maybe i'm just too stupid i'm sure there's maybe like something deeper happening that i'm just just going over my head i I don't know but i really enjoyed it
1: yeah well i mean i like his movies anyway when this one kind of i took what i took from it uh was the whole creativity artist bullshit and yeah later i read more and thought oh wow i completely missed the fucking point but that's what i love about (laughs) it yeah it's just that, you know, you can you can watch something and then, I can't remember the last time that a movie had so many people talking. I mean, it certainly has created a dialogue. And I think, I don't know, I think good art is meant to be argued about and you're allowed to hate it. You're allowed to love it. Yeah. But it's fun. You know, every time, the most questions I've been asked, um, it's the most questions I've been asked about anything the last couple of weeks since I saw it. Is, yeah. Did you yeah. see it? Did you see it? What did you think of it? Yeah, it's one of those films. I'm um, out of any film I've
2: seen in a long time. I'm interested, really interested to hear what other people thought it meant. Yeah, because yeah. And it's and I'm so,
1: so disappointed when somebody I really like and respect comes back and says that was a pile of shit. Well, yeah, some,
2: I don't, I don't understand why they're so dismissive because it's, it is a, like a weird film. Like, I don't feel like it's, um, I don't feel the like correct answer. Do you know? What? It's not like uh, trying to
1: exactly. That's exactly like, right. Yeah. and it's amazing how many people have to declare it the worst movie they have ever seen in <laughs> their life oh that's I mean, today's generation
3: though isn't it oh yeah yeah,
1: yeah. cool um okay so we've
2: got uh, a few more questions and then um then we'll do a quick quick fire round if that's okay uh which is 10 yes. short questions um so i just want to quickly ask if uh, everything you ever made got burned or became corrupt and you didn't have a proper backup solution in place and it all disappeared except for one
1: book or one story, what would you like it to be and why? Holy crap, that's an amazing question. <laughs> um, Thank you. That really is. I've never, you know what? I'm used to being asked a certain kind of question. That is a great question. Man. Uh, wow. Jesus. Yes,
2: do you want to, we can loop back around if you want to you know, let it percolate a little bit.
1: Oh, no, no. Let me do this one now because that's got okay. that's, that's, me engaged. That's a one challenge one now. Oh, yeah, big time. I would say probably my first uh, hardcover collection. I would say probably the number 121 to Pennsylvania because I've done a bunch of collections since. But I think as a representation of my work when I wasn't taking myself quite so seriously and I just basically ran with it, Yeah, I think, I think I'm think i the happiest with that. Plus, it came out from Cemetery Dance Publications. And wow. The job yeah. wow. That book was absolutely astonishing. It's a beautiful book to look at. Uh, so probably that, I think. And is
2: that hardcover on Amazon? Or where, where can people get Yeah, that?
1: well, you, you'd probably find the hardcovers. It, it's out of print now. You'd probably find them on eBay. But the paperback
3: yeah. up is, uh, is on Amazon. And what book would you say you've learned the most from out of all of your books?
1: Um, I would say definitely Kin, the novel. I think that's the closest I've ever come to actually doing what I set out to do and and incorporating elements of things that I had learned but never been able to put into practice or at least not any uh, grown up way. Yeah. But I think after I wrote that I was able to be more mature in looking at my own technique.
2: oh it's uh <laughs> <that's> interesting <laughs> interesting answer. Um, you know,
1: what's even, what's even more disturbing is that was actually me. <laughs> <laughs> is I,
0: it for uh, me?
2: Yeah, I just saw, um, so we're friends with um, a pretty big bookstagrammer, which are these like people who take pictures of books and review them, and a kin actually yeah. popped up on, um, Dan, on, on Jobus, Jobis, Jobis, jo, is it Johan, a real name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, kin popped up, so um, <laughs> maybe some more sales come that way out, I don't know, but um, Nice. It's cool. To, it's cool to see it out there in the wild. Anyway,
3: she's got like 16,000 followers or something. And they're like oh, really, really
2: active engaged followers as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, I mean, I don't know if, did I, did she follow me or I followed her at some point, but I, I know who you're talking about. Um, and what's interesting actually now, and I won't exactly call it breaking news because most people don't care, but I did. I did a mini <laughs> today, but funnily enough for a book that's six years old now, in, um, we just sold translation
0: rights
2: Sorry, is nice. this, uh, just just breaking up. I didn't quite catch that. So um, you have some great news.
0: Translation
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Just gonna say that the the, the all my secret <laughs> my millions are buried in the and then it'll come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, no, we just sold mass market translation rights to Russia yesterday for that novel. Six years after it came out, so that's pretty. Congratulations! Great. Yeah, yeah, amazing. thank. You. Yeah, so we'll see how that does, and hopefully, it'll lead to more stuff down. Yeah. it's nice to see get a, a broader audience.
2: Mm. Great, stuff. Okay, so Keaton, are you ready for the quick fire round? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, Dan, do you want to take the first question, or would you like me to?
3: Uh, you pick. <laughs>
2: I'll go first. Okay, uh, number one, Stephen King or Clive Barker?
3: Stephen King. Would you rather live in a world where you're constantly bored or constantly bombarded with entertainment?
1: Constantly bombarded with entertainment. What's your favorite alcoholic beverage? Carlsberg.
3: USA all the way? Or USA, I don't know, it's okay. (laughs) Oh,
1: Jesus.
2: (laughs) Um,
3: USA uh, all the way because I live here, so that's...
2: Uh, Number five, uh, the last book you read?
1: Uh, The last book I read was... Shit, I just read it. (laughs) I'm losing my mind. Oh, uh, Finders Keepers, Stephen King.
3: Nice. Uh, Who's the one person you'd like to meet? Eva Green. (laughs) I wonder why. Okay. Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, The biggest hobby outside of writing. Uh outside of writing. Um video games probably. Who's your favorite writer? Um Cormac McCarthy. Uh
2: so you so you're in a packed cinema and you're about to watch the latest film you've been dying to see, and there's a kid on his phone in front of you tweeting. Uh what do you do? Make him eat it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: and number ten, where can we follow you and your work?
1: Um, I'm on Facebook uh i'm on twitter i'm on instagram and my website is my name.com cool cool okay cool. so um go on yeah i'm on goodreads as well i think i think that's all of it. Mm.
2: yeah so i definitely recommend um sour candy Blanky, as I said, i'm three quarters of the way through it's pretty amazing so far um don't spoil it uh i'm enjoying okay. it i, I think your you your prose is is so uh rich and i always like to see that especially um I don't know, I just feel like we're in a bit of a sort of prose light world at the minute, and it's nice to see some very good writing, um, I guess. So thanks again for coming on, man. Uh, It's been amazing. Lovely. Thanks very much for having me, and I appreciate the kind words. Cool. So just a quick thanks to Disasterpiece for the intro and outro music, ACAST for hosting the podcast, the listeners for listening, our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver, and thanks to Dan, my co-host, for being here, because without you, I'd be alone. Thank you, Dan. Thank
3: you so much. And uh, once again,
2: (laughs) thanks to Keelan. Cheers, man. Thank you. Kevin. Thanks,
1: guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories. Oh, and did you know, every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute, eh? Anyway.
3: Toodle pip.